0: This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community.
1: Zoe Simon is a pharmacy technician. On a typical day, she takes inventory of prescriptions and secures approval from insurance companies for expensive medications. She's able to do all this from the comfort of her home.
2: You're easily able to do everything, all those things from home, especially with technology today, like Zoom and everything helps, like being able to actually see somebody makes things a lot easier.
1: But having moved to Arizona from another state, Zoe is still looking for a job here. She has the experience and the qualifications, but she's not getting a lot of calls back right now.
2: I um I've only really had one interview. and it's I was like, uh, I have you know I have skills and I have work experience. I I've, I've worked for the government. I've <laughs> I have work experience in this, so I know that's not the issue. I I really do believe that. I don't know. I feel like employers may not even want to risk taking a chance with someone that's going to potentially always be calling out. I don't know.
1: She's afraid employers don't want to hire someone with a disability. This is Inaccessible, a Hear Arizona podcast. I'm Andrea Pasquale, the director of Sun Sounds of Arizona a reading and information service for people who can't read or hold print because of a disability. I've been working with people with disabilities for over 15 years. This show is about the issues that people with disabilities face in Arizona and the resources that exist to help them. Today's episode is about money and the challenges people with disabilities face while looking for a stable income. We'll be talking about employment, accommodations, and social security. It's obviously not a great time for the economy right now. Since the start of the Covid nineteen pandemic, millions of Americans have lost their jobs.
3: I think we're going to continue to see just as just as employment for people with disabilities is um, is a significant challenge across the country. The employment rates for people with disabilities are, you know, many times lower than they are for the average population. Uh, that's not a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. In fact, it's probably just going to be exacerbated by um, by what we're seeing now.
1: John Myers is the executive director of the ARC of Arizona. The group advocates for people with developmental and intellectual disabilities.
3: A lot of the individuals that we represent have have been, we hope, temporarily unemployed.
1: And during a time of skyrocketing unemployment, it's a difficult time for people like Zoe to be looking for work.
2: Well, it's funny because I'm actually the positions I am looking for. I've, um, I've worked from home as a pharmacy technician, so I'm not necessarily looking for a position inside of a pharmacy. I I don't think COVID would really be too much of an issue. <laughs> um, it's just more so I, employers are. Um, I don't
1: know, <laughs> like.
2: I don't know. I've, I've really never had this much trouble finding a job.
1: So, Zoe began looking for resources to help her out, and she ended up at Ability 360s Employment Program, run by Lisa Purdy.
2: I was telling um I was telling Lisa that I believe I'm having a little bit of trouble of just getting calls back cuz I was putting, um, you know how applications ask if you do have a disability? <laughs> um I was putting that I do and like just a little helpful hints. They
0: were telling me not to put that on my applications, things like that. People have to make a decision about what a personal decision, whether they want to disclose. And that's something we see in the disability community, a dialogue about that.
1: Rose Daly Rooney is the legal director for the Arizona Center for Disability Law. She says it's often very hard to prove discrimination in the hiring process on a case by case basis. It's much easier to make a case once you already have the job.
0: From a lawyer standpoint, giving advice, um, one of the things we'd say is really think carefully about whether you do that, because um, if they don't know about your disability, they can't discriminate against you on the basis of it. So, um, unless you need them to know for a specific reason, like an accommodation, uh, we would say really think hard before you do make that decision to disclose. We know that there are some employers out there that have have stereotypes. They have stereotypes about various types of disabilities. At the hiring stage, particularly, you don't know why you weren't hired. It's hard to know that. But if you don't disclose and later you have to tell them you need an accommodation and they say no or fire you because you asked for an accommodation, then you know. What happened? Hiring is the most difficult area to prove discrimination. That's why during that phase, unless someone has an obvious disability, they're not going. They don't know. So um, we're just trying to eliminate that and get someone in the door so they can show people what they can do. What I might be saying it might be a little controversial because there is a lot of talk in the community about what, what with people about feeling like they're not honest if they don't tell them about their disability. But there is nothing in the law that requires you to tell them. You are not being a person is not being dishonest by not telling them. So I think it has to be more of a personal choice uh, and one that they should consider the consequences of. Which you know, make a fully informed decision, knowing that there is a lot of discrimination.
2: I feel like I, I feel like I don't really have anything to hide, so I might as well might as well tell you because you're probably gonna see it. Me carrying around my feeding
0: tube, so like,
2: <laughs> I feel like I I'd, I'd rather be upfront, but I, I don't think that's getting me anywhere.
1: In addition to having a higher rate of unemployment compared to able-bodied people people with disabilities are often more at risk from COVID-19. So if you can get a job, you might be in a dangerous situation. Here's John Myers again.
3: Um, I know of several examples where people uh, with uh, an intellectual or developmental disability work in a grocery store or Fry's or an Albertsons or Safeway and are still working. You asked the question, is there a danger to them? There is absolutely a danger to them. They are at least as susceptible as anyone else and often more so because so many people with IDD have co-occurring health conditions and, and those kind of, you know, span the entire range of, of, of what health conditions could be, but, you know, they could suffer from a heart condition or they, they, they could have respiratory conditions, things like that. So their exposure to the general population puts them at even greater risk than uh, than somebody without that co-occurring uh, condition.
1: People around the U.S. in certain industries are facing this dilemma. Go to work in person and risk contracting the virus, or refuse to work and risk not being able to put food on the table. Luckily, many industries have made the switch to remote work. They're requiring employees to work from home, and Justin Yarborough is among them. He's an accessibility specialist here at Rio Salado College.
3: Most of my work uh, consists of going through our online materials for courses and working to ensure that those are accessible to all our students with disabilities.
1: For him, the switch to remote working saved an incredible amount of time each day, cutting down hours spent on long paratransit trips. And he thinks the speed at which offices around the country transition to work from home is telling.
3: What what COVID has shown for a lot of people is especially, especially disabled people who maybe needed an accommodation in the past to be able to work from home. But companies have thought, well, we can't do that for one reason or another. Working from home has become so prevalent now, it's going to be a lot harder for companies to say, We can't do that. We can't make that work. It's going to, I I feel like it's something that could potentially open up employment for disabled people.
4: Sometimes we we say here at Ability360 that there's no better time to have a disability in history than today because the technology has advanced so far from years past.
1: Daryl Christensen is the head of community integration at Ability360, He says accessible technology is becoming more and more commonplace.
4: There's so much uh, benefit to employers and employees in in the uh, work sites. More folks are working from home and we're seeing this in the last three months with the uh, COVID-19 virus and the pandemic that more people are working from home very productively with or without disabilities and so the technology is there like never before you have virtual meetings being able to be held from anywhere whether it's on the beach or in your bedroom or in the office and that's a plus for uh, both the businesses and for potential employees and employees with disabilities The the accommodations that are usually seen cost very, very little. Over half of the job accommodations will cost less than $50, with most of them being at no cost at all.
1: But not everyone will be able to find work at least not right away. Some people with disabilities have the option to apply for Social Security benefits, but that's often a convoluted legal process.
2: I know the first time I actually filed for disabilities, I got got denied, which I'm pretty sure most people do. So um, I actually hired a lawyer, and they were very helpful. Actually, I gave them all my medical paperwork and They got approved very quickly, so they take off 25% of what you get back, of your back pay. So um, once they reviewed my case, I guess they figured it was something they could win.
4: So folks who um, may be applying for Social Security benefits or uh, Social Security uh, SSI or Social Security Disability SSDI, um, I would say that 99% of the time, someone applying for benefits is going to be denied. That's the way the system has been working. So what a person needs to do is um, not get discouraged and you can appeal that decision. Oftentimes we hear of folks who are going through a couple of appeal processes before they actually receive social security benefits. So they've worked really, really hard over a long period of time with a lot of documentation to get on social security. It is not, um, enough money to live the life of luxury by any stretch. It's very minimal. It can be seven, $800. It can be. and if we look at about a third of your income being for housing if it's subsidized that's that's very real but once you get on Social Security then to think about going back to work is sometimes not even in the picture because they've worked so hard to get these is minimal amount of benefits that they don't want to lose them. But our job is to educate consumers that by going back to work, you will in fact reduce your social security amount. However, your income from the job will more than offset that and your household income goes up even though your benefit amounts go down. So to educate folks that that's the case where they've you know, work so hard with the appeal process after appeal process to get any type of benefit. Um, we really, our job is to educate folks that it's a uh, cost-benefit to go back to work.
1: The idea of losing government benefits is still a very real concern for Marcos Castillo, a disability advocate we've spoken to throughout this series but he's not thinking about rejoining the workforce.
5: So I've been with my girlfriend going on 16 years now, and I say girlfriend because I can't call her my wife, legally I can't call her my wife, because the U.S. government has made it so that if I marry her, her income will make it so that I will not be able to, um, to have the services so that I can live.
2: It, it's pretty hard, just in the part that even, I mean, We would have been married, I think, a long time ago. We've been together for, I think, 16 years, 17 years. And we would have done the marriage thing, but I don't like it because we have to think not about the wedding or if we get married, it's more of a financial. If if we get married, will my income start affecting his insurance, whatever, you know, if it will cut or not.
1: Marcos receives medical insurance through his disability benefits and he's worried that marrying Nina Lopez would be a death sentence. According to the National Council on Independent Living, people with disabilities often choose not to marry in order to keep their benefits. The combined assets of Marcos and Nina would make Marcos ineligible for Social Security.
5: Whenever we talk about marriage equality, we always talk about one man trying to marry another man or a woman trying to marry another one. Like that's what we're focused on. And it's a very important conversation to have, but like anything else, people with disabilities are left out. So we talk about generational wealth. Well, how are you going to get generational wealth if you can't use the tax exemption that has been put forward by the government, which is marriage. Marriage is a tax exemption. You pay less taxes and you get more benefits if you're married. Well, who needs to pay less taxes and get more benefits than a person living below the poverty line? All right, so I joke and I say that, oh, I haven't married my girlfriend of 16 years who I have three kids with because, uh, because she hasn't asked me yet. But that's not the truth. I've asked her plenty of times, but she doesn't want to see me essentially die because I married her. Right? Um, you know, we've long ago convinced ourselves that we don't need to be married. But I would love nothing than to show the world, you know, um, how much I love uh what sometimes I slip into calling her my wife. But she's not, right? She's my girlfriend. I'm a thirty six year old man with three kids and uh and a girlfriend that I've been with for 16 years. We have a 17, a 19, and a 21-year-old, and she is my girlfriend, has always been my girlfriend, and will always be my girlfriend, but the way that things are now, um, uh, she will never be my wife.
1: Marcos and Nina's only option right now is to wait and hold off on marriage until the U.S. government changes the system. This has been Episode 5 of Inaccessible from Here Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. For more information on how COVID-19 is affecting unemployment in Phoenix, check out our other podcast, Unsheltered. Please tell all your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona or Inaccessible on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify, and since our goal is to help empower our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you want to share your own stories about living life in Phoenix with a disability, send a note to our producer, Jay McAuliffe at jaymcauliffe at kjzz.org. To find out about the organizations and Arizona nonprofits that assist people with disabilities, head over to our resource page at HereArizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes SunSounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Jay McAuliffe and hosted by me, Andrea Pasquale. Our script was edited by Carrie Fair Snyder and Linda Pastori is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening.